0: Good evening, everybody. Episode 109 of Don't Unfriend Me So... I almost said September. i was listening to Taylor Swift back to... No, it's back to December. What's September? Counting Crows? Counting Crows do a September song? Or is that October? Folks, I need a September song. Let's look it up. You know, sometimes you just gotta... Go on the fly. September songs. Let's find out. There's Earth, Wind & Fire, September. Wake Me Up When September Ends Green Day. Damn it, that's the one I was thinking of. September song by J.P. Cooper. No. September When I First Met You by Barry White. Close. Fiona Apple, Pale September. That was every day of her life. Frank Sinatra, the September of my years. September Girls by Big Star. The Happenings, see you in September. Neil Diamond, September Mom, what a good song. Dautry, September. Daughtery, remember that guy? He was kind of talented. Every song sounded the same, though. It's kind of like Bon Jovi. Anyway... Happy February, folks. It's not September. Wake me when September ends. We played that on Beat Saber. You know, that laser game where you have the 3D goggles? I'm no good at it. I'm horrible at it. My daughter and son and my wife are tremendous at it. But, of course, that's with anything that I try and compete with them. Except for Mario Party. Dad won the last couple times, and I'm pretty proud. You know all the squares on the board where you play Mario Party? Mario Party. You play block out, there's like 16 squares, and you play a mini game, and then you get to grab a square. Daddy swept the whole board. I know. It's fantastic. When you uh, mess with the bull, folks, you get the horns. What a great intro. I didn't even write this. It's just flowing tonight, like a river of chocolate from Willy Wonka's factory. All right, folks, let's get to it what are we doing tonight? Well, we're going to have a good good show, I think. We're going to talk a little bit about Iwo Jima. And I grew up with uh, with a wonderful movie with John Wayne. I'll talk a little bit about it. But my father was a Marine. I know a lot of Marines. And Iwo Jima, it is celebration of that amazing, iconic photo is today. And we're going to talk a little bit about Iwo Jima. And I think that is a apropos topic for today. We're going to talk a little bit about the press secretary, the current press secretary. No, not Carrot Top, even though Carrot Top looks a little better than she does, especially with his stage performance. That it's not fake, but these press secretaries have been there's been a litany of trash thrown at them from the Trump administration till now, and it really started with Stephanopoulos. But we're not going to go back that far. We're just going to talk about Kaylee McInery, 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 McMcInery, Macarena, the Macarena, Kaylee Macarena, and Sarah Huckleberry Finn Sanders. Fantastic names. No, I'm not protecting their names for copyright claims. I just can't remember how to pronounce MacInnany's name because I didn't when I met her when we went to the White House, and I certainly can't remember her name now. So I wrote it down, but it's all the way at the bottom of the page, and I can't get there quick enough. So we're just gonna say Kaylee Maca- Macaroni. Kaylee Macaroni is getting a got a lot during the Trump administration, but now Pisaki or Pizaki or it's like these names can we just get a press secretary named Jane Smith or John Smith what the hell is up with these names I can't do this the pressure is too much to bear movie theaters we're talking about movie theaters as well and I think that's a great topic because I am a movie buff I love movies up until recently and I will have to say that I'm a little disenfranchised with the franchises And I will explain why I think movie theaters are obsolete, no longer necessary. Easy, easy people. No reason to get upset. Well, I guess you can get upset, but that's really up to you. I would ask that we have a moment of silence for my joke tonight, as I have completely mucked this up and forgot to write that down as well. So we're going to take a moment of silence. And in that silence, I'm hoping that I can recall what the joke was. And not have to re-record this piece because, folks, it's not going very well in episode 109. So let's take a moment of silence for Kaylee Macarana, M- Macra Macbeth, Kaylee Macbeth, and bow our heads and pray. Thank you so much for that wonderful prayer. No, I'm not stalling. No, I'm not going to my website history to find the joke. Listen, folks, I don't know what you are thinking, but I take this show extremely seriously, and I don't appreciate it in any way, shape, or form. Of course, I remember the joke. Of course, I'm not looking at this white glow you see here is actually uh, my new light, and it adds some warmth, I think, and uh, I, I hope you enjoy it folks i got my joke tonight and it just came to me like the light in the hand of god that's what the illumination was that you saw you know and 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 i was really surprised that this came to me so quickly and easily my memory is getting old as a 46 year old man and just to have it snap back into my brain like that is truly a miracle You know, I was kind of surprised when Joe Biden said that he wanted to have all of his press staff be women. And I was kind of shocked when I heard that. But then I gave it some thought and I realized that, well, after all, he'll have to pay them less, which is always a good thing. (laughs) Locate file. Oh, boy. Do you remember this when this happened last month, folks? This show, it's cursed. Folks, you need to go watch The Daily Wire. Rush Limbaugh's gone, so you can't go there. I feel horrible. I feel like I've let you down. I prepared. I was really dialed in tonight, but now I've got to find this video. And it's up in the cloud because for some reason, my software doesn't have... I I can't even do my intro video. It's embarrassing. You should have no faith in me. How we're going to get to 10,000 viewers now, I have no idea. Let's hope this is the right intro. Folks... Bear with me. We'll be right back for episode 109, maybe. You know, if my camera was just a little bit more true to form, you would see the red glow radiating off my face. No, it's not the pink lights. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of myself, folks. Who am I? Well, my name is Matthew Spear. And that file is not available either. We're going down, folks. We're going down to Chinatown. I have none of my graphics. I can't. I I guess I could put it in post. Let's see if this one's up. Hey, there we go. Stone unfriend me. Matthew Spear. Here's my call sign. Like, share, subscribe, all that. Who cares? You all know the story. All my graphics are gone tonight. Can I do VCL? Let's see. Oh, veteran crisis there. Okay, we can finish the show. Crisis averted. Listen, this happens. It's usually once a month. And uh, this would be almost a month to the day that this happened last time. This is just the way things work. And this is why I never rerecord my show, because I think you find it funny when I stumble all over myself. In fact, I'm sure of it. These are some of the best rated shows. So my wife's like, seriously, just be an idiot all the time. It shouldn't be too hard. Gee, thanks, honey. And you'll have better ratings. So this one should go through the moon. I think our record is one with 430 views. I'm pretty confident we're going to beat that tonight. Folks, be gentle with me. And please understand, unlike Ben Shapiro and Bill Maher, I don't have a multi-million dollar recording studio and editors to keep me and slap me upside the head when I go astray. So this is a one-man show. I'm like that band. I'm like the guy who has the drums and the trumpet and the guitar and the monkey on his shoulder. That's me. That takes a certain set of skills. That people like me are a nightmare for people like you. If you let me know where she is, That will be the end of it. I will not hunt you. I will not look for you. But if you do not let her go, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. (sighs) Interesting story. And I didn't get to do it in the intro, so I'm going to do it now. I got a call today, and all joking aside, and being a buffoon aside. And we do a lot of marketing with radio and TV, and we're, we're... Company's growing and, and there's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders to, to do it right. And I feel a lot of pressure, not that I don't, I don't buckle under pressure. Like I don't care. I'm too stupid and arrogant to do that. But the pressure is I want to do it right for my company. It's important to me, you know, doing a good job. But in that with Rush Limbaugh passing away, God rest his soul, there's an opening at a local radio station. And the reason why is weekend people will be bumped up to regular hours and all the regular hour people will get their bumps. And there's a big hole to fill three hours a day for rush. And that's going to create local talent on these stations. Now, nobody listens to weekend radio and that's completely expected. Nobody makes the drive, but I'm going to have a meeting with one of the producers um, because obviously we're big clients, but they heard from a little birdie, which I happen to think is Brian, that I have a, a a podcast. And he brags about it all the time and puts me in precarious positions. And I might actually have to do this because I won't turn it down live someday in front of a live studio audience. And I don't think I'm ready for that. First of all, this was just a hobby. I just got pissed off at a neighbor and got pissed off at a friend and a close family member and wanted to rub it in their face and say, Nana, Nana, boo-boo, stick your head in doo-doo and create a show and have a chance to lambast them publicly in front of eight or nine viewers. I have a job. I'm a happy guy. I've got my fitness. I've got my family. I've got my job. I've got my hobbies, shooting and fishing and camping and stuff like that, which I don't get to do any of that anymore. But this is a different type of pressure. Listen, it's easy to pull some stuff off the internet and be clever and make a few jokes, but a lot of the things that I do are simply controversial in the fact that I make people think left and right. And I challenge the left and right equally. And although my listeners have been kind to me and a lot of people don't troll my stuff, I think it's because I try to be as rational as possible. And I don't think I ever will go to the right or the left predominantly, although I tend to be a Republican. I want to know what you think. Let's be honest. Be honest. And I did this when I first started the show, and people gave me tons of feedback. I clicked about 60 people that I really trusted to give me the feedback to do this show, and all of them are like, green light, green light, green light, but fix this, 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 and this, and make sure your show's ready and prepared, and it's organized, and you're not a bumbling idiot in the opening. Yeah. But otherwise, it's been going pretty well, and I'm thinking, can I hold an audience attention without all the glitz and glamour and the video and the cuts. Can the voice carry a show? And do I realize with my own insecurities and my own lack of talent or the talent that I have, if I have any, would I be able to carry a show for two hours on the radio? And it's a really good question. And I would love to hear your thoughts. I got vulnerable with you tonight. And maybe that's why I'm stumbling because I know that this producer is probably going to watch this show. Out of all the shows, it's going to be this one. And this guy's going to be like, Are you freaking kidding me? How do I put this guy on the air? We will lose four basis points simply because he showed up. Or is that what's needed in today's world? Is a little bit of self deprecating humor, somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously, and maybe not the brightest mind or the sharpest tool but still is an instrument that can create conversation and dialogue between people who are diametrically opposed in what they believe and who can use diametrically in a sentence effectively. That's also important. So as we encroach on 15 minutes, I will tell you, I am perplexed and in a dilemma wrapped inside of Enigma that is a puzzle, and I would love your opinion. Should I go for it? Do I go all in? When I hit 10,000 followers, life will change for this show. 10,000 is the magic number that separates the amateurs to people who will move into a level of minor professionals. And then, of course, when you hit 100,000, you start moving into an area all its own. But this happened so fast, and I don't know if this is real or just a dream. Isn't that a Tiffany song? Debbie Gibson? I'm not looking it up. Let's get into the show. Episode 109, movie theaters are dead. I'm sorry. I apologize. You're talking to a guy who went to the original Indiana Jones, was in the original Star Wars in the Chinese theater, and Indiana Jones in the Chinese theater, saw Empire in the Chinese, and Return of the Jedi in the Chinese theater in LA. My parents were movie buffs. I don't remember the first Star Wars, of course, because I think it was, what, 77? So I was three. But I do remember the rest, and I was there. It's all that matters. It's also a few Los Angeles Dodger games where Sandy Koufax pitched and Arthur Fiedler in concert played when I was in my mom's tummy. So I did see those too. But not really. But I have a love for movies. In fact, I've got over 1,000 Blu rays. Before that, I had over 1,500 DVDs. And now I realize that my 1,000 Blu rays are worth nothing because 4K is out and I've got a couple hundred 4K. And I love movies, I am a connoisseur of movies. And there's nothing better than going to a theater. Or there was nothing better than going to a theater. And I'm going to talk to you about the 15 reasons why movie theaters are dead, most assuredly. And I know nobody will like that. And I know people will be upset. But I have some valid arguments, and I would like to bring them to you today. Over-the-top pricing is probably one of the biggest things. Is that you can get it cheaper, faster, and just as effective on your own rather than having to go to a multi-million dollar theater. And money-hungry movie studios want to pass the buck on to the little guy now, because they aren't raking in the cash that they once were. And the marketing doesn't matter, and they can give out $100 million in Xboxes and Mountain Dews and inundate the airwaves and your TV station with the latest and greatest franchise, but people don't want to go where COVID is. And that is just a fact. And although there are plenty of people who could probably keep the movie theaters alive, we couldn't keep it open without COVID, and they were dropping at record rates. And the smaller time cinemas, like the Alamo Draft House, greatest theater on the planet. We're taking over the market share for the bigger theaters as AMC bought up everything and took out the other Silverados and smaller theater chains that had more of an intimate setting with high priced seating and clean, non sticky seats. Alas, the chains are only ones that are surviving. The top 15 reasons, and I have an additional bonus one movie prices. Ticket prices for movies are absolutely incredulous. And it's not just so much the tickets. But these companies and these producers put so much money into advertising and these big budget films, and they have so many flops that unfortunately it raises ticket prices for everything. Now, a major franchise tentpole type movie that's pushed all blockbuster and all summer, fine. I can understand why we're paying top billet for that but I don't want to pay top billet for Avatar 2 when Avatar 1 absolutely sucked and still sucks today. I shouldn't have to pay for movies like the stupid one, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Harry Potter is taking all the market share and that movie can't even get off its ass. Or Percy Jackson, which was also fantastic two fantastic movies, but couldn't do anything because of Harry Potter and pay for those ultimate failures. And I certainly can't pay for all the other countless failures that have happened throughout the movie industry because they don't have an original idea. The other thing, number 14, is people have no manners. I am so tired of people on their damn cell phones. It even says it on the 47 hours of commercials prior to the movie. Please silence your your phones. It also says, and should say, please dim your freaking screen because it literally looks... Like the second coming of Jesus coming out of your seat with the amount of light radiating and permeating from your area. Everyone's in the dark. We don't want to see it. We don't want to be half blinded. And we literally have sunspots in front of our eyes because of your stupid selfie flashes with you and your girlfriend sitting in the third row. People talk during movies. People don't shut up. And there's nothing quite louder than a whisper. Whenever you don't want someone to hear you, talk normal. When you whisper, it brings people's attention. That's the first thing they teach you in tradecraft. Don't whisper. Everybody listens when you whisper. Well, when you sit there and go, oh my God, do you think that that person's going to die in the next scene? Holy shit, he just died. Everybody wants to shoot you. And thank God that most theater has banned concealed carries because I probably would have shot somebody. That's a joke. It's a very sensitive time now in the world today. At least beat them with the butt of my weapon if they would not shut up through some of the most important scenes. The rise of home media, it's easier than ever to get content, digital content. It's easy to hack it. Movies are out hours after it's been released on a midnight showing for everyone to consume and watch. It is just as simple to find a $4 or $5 Blu-ray in the savings bin six months after the movie has been released in the theaters and people do not have a sense of urgency like they used to improved home theater systems i will put my surround sound system and my 7.2 surround sound system with my 85 inch 4k tv against just about any theater in the planet and when you're 10 feet away there is no difference my screen is just as big we're not measuring screens here folks but my point is is that the experience that i can get for a fifteen thousand dollar investment and not leave my house is well worth it And although, yes, I don't have 47 speakers and have a Jumbotron the size of the Los Angeles Dodger vision, I will tell you that the experience is good enough for me and anybody sitting with me. 11. Price of snacks, parking, and gimmicks. This is where they get you. I really don't want to spend $125 for a family of four at a movie. <clears throat> Popcorn should not be $9.95 for a bucket, and a soda should not be $6.75. It is the most ridiculous thing in the world. I can go to Outback Steakhouse and order the most expensive crab as an appetizer, get myself a prime rib with a loaded potato and a salad, and also get a blooming onion, and get the richest Outback Aussie dessert that I can find. And I'll tell you, I would still pay less than what I pay at the God darn snack counter. Why would I want to eat stale Jujubes and a Snickers bar that essentially looks like a 98-year-old's riddled finger? Everything tastes like crap and tastes like grease and butter. You don't get anything. You crack your teeth on those kernels and the popcorn. And yes, it's delicious, but there's so much salt in it. Essentially, Moses wants to come and part you. Dead Sea reference. No? Okay. The point is, folks, is that the gimmicky snacks and the parking and all of this adds up. And a family of four cannot get out of there for less than 100 bucks nowadays. The event mentality. They boost these movies. Thursday night, midnight showing of Avenger 16, the musical. That's great. But nobody really wants to do the event thing. We don't want to go wait in line. We don't want to deal with the crowds. We don't want to rub shoulders with people. If we did that, we would all fly southwest. We like to sprawl out. We like to wear our underwear when we're watching the movies. You can't do that at a big event. You can't do that with a bunch of people. Now, you can get away with it in COVID, post-COVID, because I tell you what, those, those theaters are empty, and there's not much you can't do. I'm just letting you know. And that guy who's playing the movie, there is no guy up there anymore. It's all digital. So you have the theater yourself. Now, you are going to have that one guy who walks in with a little flashlight, but that's in the first 15 minutes and usually halfway point. If you time it right, you can pretty much get buck naked in there if you want to, and your significant other is willing. Not that I'm speaking from experience. Right, Liv? So the point is, this event mentality turns off a lot of moviegoers, and they don't want to be a part of it. The rise of on-demand competition, HBO, streaming channels, video on-demand, they are literally closing that gap between regular releases from the movie theater and digital releases for home consumption. And as that gap gets smaller, the model of the movie theater no longer works. Because if you can watch it in your home for less money and cook your own bag of popcorn and get your own soda for $1.49, you will have a flashback of what it used to look like in the movie theaters 25 years ago. Number eight, the Internet, the curse of everything in life. It is way too easy to quickly find out if a movie is good or a movie is bad. And although Rotten Tomatoes has never been right in any way, shape or form in any prediction that they've made, I go by the user score and usually that's pretty correct. Critics hate things that I love. That's the way it works. And anybody that gives a weight the, the movie weighting a 23 on the Rotten tom- Tomato meter is an absolute moron. There are fantastic movies that are unseen because the internet says so. Because critics say so. We used to have to listen to that fat, skinny guy, Roger and Siskel Ebert, whatever the hell their names were, thumbs up and thumbs down. Do you think there might be a halfway point between that movie? It's either good or it sucks. It was vicious back then. Now it's like, well, they kind of got kind of fresh. It's semi-fresh. It's kind of like semi-truth. It's kind of false or kind of true. It's almost like fact checkers. Can you just decide, please? At least Siskel and Ebert were like, it's good, or it's uh-huh. shit. And I'd much rather have that. But today, everyone has an opinion, and there's idiots doing shows on everything. Can you believe the gall of some of these people? Cinematic television. Can you remember a movie that ever compared with the TV series Justified, or Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones, or even one of the, some of the newer shows that have come out, like The Morning Show, or Mythic Quest? Can you remember a time that you were so excited to see a movie coming out as you were with cinematic television? Let's face it, folks. There has been a dawning of a new age. And Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Apple, they've cracked the code, which is to buy all the great writers and all the great cinematographers and directors and have them do elongated series that keep people buying and buying and buying their show, even stars. And people subscribe to that heap of crap just to wait for some nudie scenes on the Outlander. It's okay. It's a heartfelt story. Too many damn commercials. Oh my gosh. Listen, I have on demand and I have instant TV, so I don't have to watch commercials. The last thing I want to do is go into a movie theater that doesn't turn the air conditioning on because they only budget for two hours while the movie's rolling and for the first 30 minutes literally die of exhaustion and heat with a lack of stale air watching commercials for movies that I have no intention of seeing. The franchise mentality, it's overdone. There are no original concepts anymore. Remakes have taken over. When's the last time you've went to a movie and you haven't seen a commercial on the first seven or eight commercials that they do that take an hour and a half that aren't all remakes? Where are the original ideas? Disney's tried, and every single one of them have flopped. Their live action is fantastic, but it's remakes. Their cartoons are still fantastic, but it is remakes. Their live action is beyond fantastic. Even Aladdin was good when they picked Will Smith, whatever the hell they were thinking. And I've seen portions of it because my kids watched it 75 times and it's not bad. But remaking the same thing over and over has just inundated people with being sick and tired. And then also the remakes that are basically social justice warrior tropes like Women in Black and Ghostbusters, all female cast. Holy God, please stop making me throw up. We'll talk about that in a minute. Lackluster movies, just mentioned it. Too much product placement. We're sick and tired of seeing Visa cards and Scope and the latest and greatest latte-free milk. We're done. The product placements are absolutely ridiculous. I'm surprised that Scarlet Witch doesn't say, have you tried the new Pepsi? It's a choice of Avengers everywhere. It's sugar-free and it's got stevia and causes cancer in laboratory rats. But really, that won't happen for another 30 years. So try Pepsi free as it beats you up now. Enough. Too many distractions. The movies, the actors, the politics. People actually have to look at the docket and say, Robert De Niro's in that? He doesn't like President Trump. I won't watch that crap. There's too many things in the movies that don't make sense. There's too many long, just contrived storylines that we're expected to understand. The problem with DC is that DC isn't a bad franchise. It has horrible villains. That's the number one reason why it fails. But number two, it's because their storylines are so in-depth, and you can't possibly get it all into one movie. Even when you try with Superman versus Batman. Your mama's name Martha too? So is Bubba Gump, please. Dumbest plot line ever in a movie. You want to kill each other for two and a half hours, but your mommies are named Martha. You didn't do that in the background investigation before fighting this guy. You're a detective, for God's sakes, Batman, and you didn't know his mommies named Martha. What a bunch of shit. Too many tentpole movies. We talked about it before. These are the movies that get so much hype and they come out of the gate at $132 million weekend and then tank. And people are sick and tired of trusting movie studios to tell us what's great and what's not. And then getting the false critics to tell us that it's great. And then when we watch it and nobody agrees, this is why Rotten Tomatoes is crap because they're paid for their opinions. This is the issue with the movie industry. There's too many risks versus not enough reward. And lastly, nobody wants to be lectured in our movies. Nobody wants to hear all about the social justice warriors and how global warming is going to happen and how all the female Avengers all of a sudden unite and fight Thanos. We don't care. It's not that we don't love that. It's not that we're not totally stoked that there's female superheroes because some of the best superheroes are female and some of the best villains are female as well. But we don't care. We don't need a political statement. We don't need to see that in the new Star Wars, that the Sith, Lord, is in gold robes and has disfigured large round head like Donald Trump. And everybody knows that that was symbolism for Donald J. Trump. The gold robes gave it up. There's never been a Sith on the planet who has worn gold robes. Please. We're the mighty Sith. We wear gold robes and we wear pink tiaras. It's fantastic. No, that was absolutely about Donald Trump. Enough of the SJW crap. And everybody knows it and they're sick of it. But Disney and other studios keep shoving it down our throat. Most assuredly, movie theaters are dead and most of them will not come back from COVID. And they will be a nostalgic relic of the past, just like blockbuster video and 8-track tapes. And it is about time. And the final straw in this whole thing is when they are trying to charge $40 to rent a movie that is going to be released digitally in order to make up for their deficit. Hollywood has passed the buck to the consumer. Now I have friends say, "Oh, well for a family of 4, you can go get popcorn, go to a giant movie in a screen and you can you can you wouldn't even get out of the theater for 40 bucks." Yes, I understand that. Or I could just not buy the movie, drive the prices down on these movie studios to stop paying people exuberance amounts of money and stop having a marketing budget the size of Bolivia. And maybe, just maybe, theaters can make a profit again. But it's like the people voting for the NHLPA and the Players Association and the owners versus the fans. The people who are defending the movie theaters are on the wrong side. Yes, you should vote for the movie theaters, but you need to attack the celebrities, attack the studios, attack the producers, because they are the ones that are dictating the price and driving the prices up in these movie theaters and making them obsolete. That is just my opinion. Don't unfriend me, especially my close friends who love movies. Amir, I'm sorry. I don't know if you watch the show, but if you do, I still apologize. (sighs) The Sands of Iwo Jima, John Wayne. I remember it so very well. I remember the end scene, sorry, spoiler alert, 80 years later, where John Wayne takes a round from a Japanese sniper as he lights a cigarette after they stormed the beach of Iwo Jima. And irony is personified in that moment as the cigarette doesn't kill him, but nice product placement, by the way, Hollywood, but the bullet from the sniper does. And that movie sat with me And the sands of Iwo Jima is a wonderful movie. But the question about this is a lot of people have made comments was the iconic World War II photo stage? You know the one where the Marine Corps was up on the volcanic hill and they plant the flag and you see a bunch of Marines leaning into the wind. It was very windy that day. Was it stage? Well, here's the true heroic story. And I realize the show's going a little long, and Kayleigh Mackin Mackinna Macaroni might not get my limelight tonight. The inspiring image lifted the spirits of a nation and raised suspicions that it was too good to be true. On February 23, 1945, six U.S. Marines planted an American flag atop a battle-blasted hill on the island of Iwo Jima. A fiercely defended Japanese stronghold, photographer Joe Rosenthal got lucky and captured the moment in a single, immortal image. Within two weeks, the photograph became the theme of the U.S. government's 7th War Bond Drive. A postage stamp before the image. The scene has been reenacted multiple times on screen, and most enduringly, perhaps a monumental sculpture—perhaps uh, a monumental sculpture of the flag raising, based entirely on Roosevelt's associated press photo—stands guard above the Potomac River across from Washington D.C. I've got a picture of the map that I'll show you of where that's at. Photos of Iwo Jima shows Japanese airfields and fortification. Weeks of shelling by the U.S. fleet failed to destroy the deeply dense network of bunkers. In Japan, in honor of Jim and Erica Lou, Museum of Fine Arts, Houston, Bridgman images, and all of these came and can be seen in the Smithsonian as a beautiful rendition of Iwo Jima if you're ever in Washington, D.C. Rosenthal is actually captured there too, and when he swung his bulky Graflex 4x5 camera in the right direction of the right split second and snapped the shot without even looking through his viewfinder, the resulting photo is so perfect in capturing an essential moment in depicting the courage and camaraderie of the fighting men and meeting virtually every time-honored standard of artistic composition that for the rest of his life, Rosenthal had to rebut charges that he set up the whole thing. Yes, Rosenthal set up the, set up the entire war with the Japanese killed millions on both sides just to get that photo. You're right, folks. Absolutely. And the moon landing was fake, too. See, QAnon has been around for a lot longer than y'all think. They were around back in WW2. In fact, on that day, five days onto one of the bloodiest battles of the Pacific War, Rosenthal had just one thing on his mind as he scrambled up the stony volcanic slope. As the trail became steeper, he later said, I began to wonder and hope that this was worth the effort. It was even though Rosenthal showed up too late, yet right on time a mountain on an island in black and white dominated by a 554-foot Mount Suribachi is in this photo. The island of two Iwo Jimas was an important midway point between allied bomber bases and Japan, but after the battle left more than 6,000 Americans dead and 20,000 wounded, some question whether the tiny volcanic outpost was worth it. The 550-foot volcanic cone, uh, a team of Marines had already raised a smaller U.S. flag. Marine photographer Staff Sergeant Luis Lowry snapped the moment when the makeshift flagpole was erected, but the side of that flag drew a volley of fire from Japanese troops. While diving for cover, Lowry broke his camera, so he headed down the hill to get new equipment. Along the way, he met Rosenthal, still struggling to get to the top and gave him the bad news. Can you imagine that conversation for the rest of their life? You son my photo the flag was already up still rosenthal pressed on hoping to get some good shots from the summit when he got there he noticed a team of marines preparing to raise a second larger flag on orders from marine brass who wanted it to be visible from all over the island war photographers almost never get second chances at great shots but rosenthal knew he had one here now he was in a race against time, trying to get a good vantage point in the seconds before the second flag was raised. Frantically, the five foot five photographer piled up some sandbags to stand on. "I'm not in your way, Joe am I?" asked a movie cameraman on the scene. Rosenthal turned to look at him and nearly missed the shot of the century. the u s Army had rejected Rosenthal as a photographer because he had poor eyesight, but his reflexes that makes a war photographer and Rosenthal's were catlike. Through one corner of his eye, he caught the sight of the Marines raising the fluttering flag, and in one moment, he turned, raised his camera, clicked his single shot, and left the rest to fate. Reflexes or not, Rosenthal could be sure he had gotten his shot, couldn't be sure if he gotten his shot off. The film in the camera would be flown to Guam from processing, and then sent via telephoto equipment to his editors in San Francisco. For insurance, Rosenthal got 16 Marines and two Navy corpsmen to pose triumphantly around the flag. Among them was Ira Hayes, a Pima Native American who was also in the iconic first shot. He's the Marine at the far left whose hands have just let go of the flagstaff. An older Marine wearing a Marine Corps cap uh, said, I had my 20th birthday on Iwo Jima, says John Jack Thurman, now 94 years old. Some of my buddies there didn't make it to their 19th birthdays. Now, old vets like me, we live our lives for ourselves and for them. My buddies are living through me. As Thurman, now 94, remembers it, the two had nothing, or the two had climbed the hill that morning. Hayes is part of the flag raising unit. Thurman as a sniper to protect them. Hey, Jack, get down here, Thurman recalls Hayes yelling. I want my picture taken with you. The resulting image is a bit fuzzy, which I'll link to you, and debate has arisen as to who exactly is in the photograph, but looking at it in today's sunny room of this Loveland, Colorado home, as this author writes from National Geographic, Thurman identifies himself as the Marine at the extreme left, the one waving his helmet with youthful enthusiasm. Admittedly, he says, doffing his headgear wasn't the smartest thing to do with the enemy gunfire coming from every angle. But you get used to it, he says. The stuff was flying all over the place. The raising of the flags on Iwo Jima had an immediate effect on Marines all over the island, eight square miles. As the first flag was hoisted, horns sounded from the invasion fleet, and soldiers fired their guns in the air. Uh, I looked, and there was a flag. Here one veterans' memories of the bloody battle, and I will link that to you as well in the notes below. Soldiers celebrating on a mountain with the American flag above after snapping the unposed raising is also in the photo that I will link to you. Suribachi Rosenthal asked the 16 Marines, including Jack Thurman at the far left and two Navy corpsmen, to gather for this other group photo. And this is known as the gun-ho photo. What a feeling that was, recalls Bill Montgomery, 95, one of the few Marines who arrived in Iwo Jima the first day of the battle, and stayed until the bitter end. I felt ecstasy. I knew it was all over. So many of us have been killed. We made it through. Thurman shared that optimism with his fellow Marines, but it was a false hope. The Battle of Iwo Jima would rage for another month, claiming more than 26,000 American casualties, including 6,281 lives. But through it all, the flag atop Suribachi snapped in the stiff Pacific trade winds. The the, the sight inspired the Marines through every war-weary day and night. Even after dark, says Thurman, the artillery shells would go off and the flash. You could see the flag up there, still waving, still standing. I couldn't help but think of the Fort McHenry and the star-spangled banner. The bombs bursting in air really did prove through the night that our flag was still there. A Pulitzer Prize-winning photo this was, and the flag under the mood of the lighting and on to the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima, the flag made famous by Rosenthal's photograph will be on display at the National Museum of the Marine Corps in Virginia through March 2020 till 21. So hopefully we have a little bit of time left but that They will open this back up and we can see it. The photographs that came for this inspired a generation and a lot of people said that it was a phony picture. Former executive AP photo editor Hal Buell said in an interview, even after an inquiry by military officials and Life Magazine editors concluded it was an authentic news picture. The rumor persisted. As for Sergeant Lowry, the military photographer who missed the shot of the sentry because his camera broke, for years he contended that Rosenthal's picture must have been faked. But after the two men had an impromptu encounter at a Marine event years later, he changed his mind. They remained friends, said Buell. In fact, Joe attended Lou Lowry's funeral. Now as the number of men who witnessed that flag raising first. Firsthand dwindles, Joe Rosenthal's photo preserves the spirit of one of World War II's most indelible moments. I think of it every time I see our flag flying. Even today, says Jack Thurman, that flag is saying to every one of us, I'm still here, buddies. I'm still here. Can you imagine the amount of Japanese that went after that flag and tried to claim that volcanic hill as they saw the explosions of artillery and saw that flag on their, they considered their island? It must have been absolutely unnerving to them as well. It's amazing how there are polar opposites of feeling in battle and how the Japanese must have felt trying to reclaim that and how many died trying to get it down. But they were savages and deserved it. So too bad. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Is that her name? Because once again, I'm struggling because I did not check if her name was Psaki or Psaki or Saki. We're going to say Saki. Jen Psaki avoided directly answering multiple questions from Fox News reporter Peter Ducci that's a name I could mess up, on Wednesday afternoon about the Biden administration's decision to open detention facilities for children apprehended at the U.S. border while trying to enter the country. We've seen some photos now of containers. Is there a better description? Ducci asked. Is it kids in containers instead of kids in cages now? What is the White House description of this facility? Fantastic question. And here is Sucky's answer, which Saki's, Well, let me give a broader description of what's happening here, she responded. We have a number of unaccompanied minors' children who are coming into the country without their families. What we are not doing, what the last administration did, was separate those kids. Rip them from the arms of their parents at the border. We are not doing that. Oh, shit. And that is not the approach of this administration. These kids, we have a couple of options. We can send them back home and do a dangerous journey back. We are not doing that either. That is also putting them at risk. Okay, so you're not keeping them there, you're not sending them home, you're not splitting them up. What exactly are you doing, sucky? We can quickly transfer them from the CBP to these HHS-run facilities. That's one option. Or we can put them with families and sponsors without any vetting. There were some problems that that process ran into as well. We've chosen the middle option. I didn't hear a middle option. She continued, and these HSHS facilities, this is one of them you're referring to. We had to expand and open additional facilities because there was not enough space in the existing facilities. If we were to abide by COVID protocols, and that's the process and the step. This facility in Texas, which has been reopened, has been revamped and has been there our, and, and has been there. Our teachers, there is medical facilities, and our objective is to move them and these kids quickly from there to vetted sponsored families and to places where they can safely be. This is a difficult situation. It's a difficult choice. That's the choice we've made. Huh? Ducci later asked about a tweet from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York that mildly criticized the Biden administration over the decision to put the facilities there. Saki claimed that she did not know what AOC wrote, saying that the situation at the border was heartbreaking, but that Biden administration not only has a couple of choices, which we've only heard one, when asked whether the which we don't even know what it is, when asked whether the administration would support allowing reporters in the facilities to see what the conditions there were like for the children, Saki deflected, saying that Ducci would need to ask a different department in the administration. This whole thing is interesting because over the last six years, with Kaylee McEnany, 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 Kaylee McEnany, that's how you say it, I got it here, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, were absolutely ostracized and called horrible, horrific names. And the left is crying foul now as people call her the redheaded stepchild or a ginger or carrot top. But most importantly, she makes horrible decisions. They called Kayleigh McEnany, McEnany? McEnany, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, dumb blonde, pig in lipstick, airbag, slut, tramps, and that they hit the ugly tree. All of these things are absolutely horrendous and shouldn't be said about any woman or man unless it's actually true. And I don't think those things are true. I think they both did very good jobs against the media who wanted to destroy Donald Trump and anyone who associated with him. But it's amazing how the press has backpedaled now, and they are giving this woman as much rope as she needs to hang herself with. She is hopelessly outclassed. She has to circle back around often, if not after every question. And I promise you, Joe Biden, in all his glory and eating his pudding pops in his underwear, looked at her and said, Can you please stop saying circle back around? Every time you do, I turn around and look, and nobody's there, and it's confusing the living shit out of me. Folks, it comes down to this. Press secretary's jobs are to handle the questions of America, and nobody in America wants to know the, anth- the questions and know the answer to the questions that they're asking. The press corps has absolutely has one agenda to make Joe Biden look as strong as humanly possible, but already his policies are failing, and it hasn't even been 100 days he has no answer for immigration, and he can't get anything done without executive orders, and he has a full billet. He has the House, he has the Senate, and be honest with you, he probably even has the Supreme Court even though it's balanced in Republicans' favor. But they all have a little bit of guilt that they want to make up for because of Donald Trump. The point is, is in two years, America is going to get revenge against Joe Biden and vote most of them out and give power back to the Republicans because this is always what happens in a second term when a president doesn't do what they promised, America. Folks, I might be losing power. I've got a couple blinks here, and that means that either God is telling me to get the hell off or power is going to shut off For no other reason than I didn't pay my bill, and both are practically possible. Folks, my name is Matt Spear with Don't Unfriend Me. I appreciate you, and that is it for episode nine. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please come back tomorrow. I promise it'll be a little bit smoother. It'll be a little bit easier, but either way, I'll probably offend you or I won't. Either way, just don't unfriend me. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800. My wife said to say it slower. 273 8255 one. Veteran crisis hotline is important to you if you are one of the veterans who are struggling with PTS, traumatic brain injury. And I don't mean to jest, but you got to have humor in some things. 22 veterans a day commit suicide is way too many. They need your help. They need you to reach out. The best way to do that is to have a conversation. If they can't have that conversation, reach out to me or another veteran. We will help. Too many brothers and sisters die every single day. And if that doesn't work, you can send them to don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link and you'll be connected to a Skype video call with a counselor free of charge. And if you're a civilian, you don't have to be a veteran. They will help you and never turn you away as well. The Veteran Crisis Hotline is an amazing, amazing initiative. Please give veterans your support. Folks, I will see you tomorrow. Thank you so much. And for episode 110 coming at you tomorrow, which will hopefully be a lot smoother with power and a script this time. Now I got to find my outro video. It's right here. Good night.